all going to be tired next week. Make sure you remember that. Um, I don't know, we might, hopefully YouTube remembers that. Otherwise, you're going to be waiting for an hour for the live stream to go up. Uh, all right, a great big announcement. Uh, the board is encouraging small groups to meet. Um, so that means youth is back up. Uh, the, the, the children's ministries are not, um, are not going to be meeting in person. But yeah, youth will be meeting in person. We'll be following HS guidelines, bring a mask. Uh, we're going to be socially distanced, all that good stuff. Um, if you would like to have a small group meeting, please book with Benita. She'll give you the rundown, and we will be able to meet and see each other's eyes. That'd be better. Um, the Alberta Baptist, the ABA uh, annual general business meeting is happening on April 14th. If you'd like to be a delegate, please contact the office. And that is all the announcements for this morning. So allow me to pray uh, for the rest of the service. We'll get going. God, we thank you for, for who you are. God, we thank you for the work that you are doing in this time. Um, God, that we can meet as a church in this way. God, that we can uh, still see each other. God, that we can still, we, we have the technology to reach out. God, we thank you for the easing of restrictions that we can meet in small groups. Again, that we can have um, some sort of in-person contact. God, that, um, yeah, God, you would keep us safe in those instances. And God, that, uh, we would be blessed by those opportunities. God, as Ralph comes to speak this morning, we pray that, that we'd hear, uh, we hear your words, your truth uh, through his mouth, through Ralph's sermon this morning. God, we pray all these things in your powerful name. Amen. Good morning, Northgate family. This morning, we continue uh, in our journey through uh, the season of Lent as we walk towards the cross. And last week, Pastor Mark brought us to the Garden of Gethsemane, where we see a real low point in the journey to the cross in that Judas Iscariot, one of the trusted disciples of Jesus Christ, betrayed him. And Jesus was arrested, and now officially the hours are ticking off to the last moments of his breath on the cross, and yet the anticipation of the joy and hope that we have through the resurrection. This morning, I want to backtrack a few hours before the Garden of Gethsemane into the upper room where Jesus and his disciples were eating the Passover meal and where Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure. And this section of scripture we find in John chapters 13 to 17, where we see and hear what Jesus did and said to his disciples as he prepared them. As John 13, 1 says, Jesus knew his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. I want us to walk through some of the highs and lows in the upper room this morning. And as we do, I want to share some stories that talk about highs and lows and how a faithful walk with Jesus Christ can help us go through, uh, particularly the lows that we encounter in our life, knowing that through the cross, as Paul said, uh, we have the power of the resurrection available to us in our lives as we go through our daily life realities. 
I can tell you a story from World War II. This involves uh, two pilots. One, an American pilot of a bomber, a B-17 bomber, and one, the pilot, a German, in a fighter. And the Americans had this bombing run into Germany, and as the bombers were returning, this one bomber was piloted by a rookie, and his name was Charlie Brown. Yes, that is real. And he did not have Snoopy to help him fight the Red Baron on this particular moment because the Red Baron was coming, and his name was Franz Stigler. And so the B-17s had dropped their bombs. They're going back to get out of Germany, over the ocean, back to their base in England. And this one bomber piloted by Charlie Brown had extended damage as it was turning back. And it had to drop from the highs of 25,000 feet and start dropping down low because it had lost engines. It had multiple damage all over. And as it was flying over, Franz Stickler's base was activated to attack the stragglers. He came upon the B-17. He came from behind as they usually did, but something was odd. He noticed that the tail gunner wasn't shooting at him. And as he came closer, he noticed that none of the guns were shooting at him. He thought, this plane must really be crippled. So he did a fly past, didn't receive any shots, and then pulled up beside the bomber and looked into the canopy to the pilot, to Charlie Brown, and he noticed the fear in the bomber pilot's eyes. And he thought to himself, this is not a fair fight. This would be murder at this point in time. And he had a strong faith background. He had actually studied for the priesthood and recognized that as a follower of Christ, he could not finish this off. And so what he did is he tried to tell them, land so that you can become prisoners of war. They didn't understand his signals, and he recognized they didn't. He had to make a choice. Do I risk court-martial by escorting this bomber out of Germany to safety? Or do I shoot it down? Because it's going to get shot down by anti-aircraft guns as it's going through Germany anyway. So he decided to escort the bomber. He flew beside it. That protected the bomber crew from anti-aircraft fire. And he escorted them to the coast, turned back, and the bomber crew made it back with an amount of damage that even those at the base couldn't believe it had and still managed to make it back home. Late 1940s. Fast forward to 1986. Charlie Brown's talking with veterans. They ask him, what were some events from World War II that stood out to you? He said, you know what? This event happened with this German fighter. And that got him on a road to find out who that pilot was. He found him four years later. They became best of friends. In fact, they weren't living too far from each other, as it all turned out. Because Franz Stigler had immigrated to Canada, was living in Vancouver. Charlie Brown was living in Seattle. For the next 10 years, actually for the next 18 years, they developed a deep friendship. And demonstrated the fact that our humanity is much more important than the titles and names, the different subgroup identities we give each other and sometimes attack each other. Powerful story of 
God's grace working in people's lives because of a person of faith. For some of us in COVID right now, we are experiencing the lows. There were lots of highs before, and, and in COVID now we're experiencing the lows of we can't connect with family who are precious to us, with grandchildren who might be new to our family groups. We're dealing with the struggles with our elderly parents, not being able to see them, touch them, hug them, but just seeing them through glass with indoor visits, or having to make difficult decisions as our parents are failing, and not being able to be there to hold their hand even as they pass into eternity. Our finances have suffered. Careers have been ended. Different options are unfolding that are not easy choices for us. But yet, in the lows of these times, communion this morning, the cross tells us that through the lows of death and separation and anxiety, is resurrection life available to us in Christ? In my life, I can attest to that too. I've had lows in my life, but yet I've had to continually hang on to the high and exalted one, the Lord Jesus Christ. I know uh, for myself, I generally am a pretty stable kind of guy, I think. You know, maybe Kathy might differ at times on that one. But, uh, you know, in my own self-perception, in my own uh, world, um, I, I figure I've got some pretty decent life strength. But I, I know years, a few years ago when I was an electrician, uh, and uh, I was made foreman for a job site, a condominium complex. And, uh, you know, it was a great promotion. I was terrified. You know, it was a high promotion, but I was terrified. And there were mornings when I would wake up, and in my devotional time, all I could do was curl up like a fetus and go, God, I can't do this today. I don't know how I'm going to get through this day. I need your grace. I need your power. I need your wisdom. And there's maybe some days where you feel like you just can't get going. But it just takes one step at a time, hand in hand with the Lord Jesus. You know, even when I was board chair here and and uh, for the year, that was a very challenging time. And so many different things came upon my life in terms of life intensity. And near the end of my year as board chair, you know, I, I, I know about you, but sometimes I try and think of how far am I from the edge in terms of my ability to cope with life. And it's always, you know, that cliff is way over there. Well, by uh, November of that year, the cliff was right there. And I'm going, this is not good. And by God's grace, um, I was able to manage through that. But again, it's, we have these highs and we have these lows and constant through them is Jesus in the upper room with us. And Jesus in the upper room comes in John 13, 1, recognizing that he's going to the Father and he prepares the disciples for his departure. And one thing Jesus does is he equips them in terms of what does it mean now to be Jesus in the world around them? Because they are going to now be the representatives of Christ. And what Jesus does in John 13 is he, he kneels before each of them. He has a towel draped over his arm, a basin of water, and he comes to them and he washes their feet. And in those days, they didn't have hiking boots or fancy runners to wear. They had open-toed sandals, dusty roads, feet were dirty, filthy, and it was custom for the servant of the house 
to wash the feet of the guests of the house. And the disciples were the guests at this Passover meal. And this Passover meal that reflected and pictured Jesus and his sacrificial death as the Lamb of God. And he's washing their feet. And he says, I've set an example for you. You are to humbly serve those who are part of the family of God. That is your call. Don't lord it over them, but meet the needs of the people above your own needs. And we'll talk further about what that might look like. But Jesus washed Judas's feet as well. Knowing full well that Judas was going to betray him during the meal. And so Judas, during the meal, betrays Jesus. The disciples don't know what he's doing. He's just leaving. Jesus says, go and do what you must. Judas leaves with clean feet and a dirty heart. And a few hours later, he meets Jesus with dusty feet and still a dirty heart in the Garden of Gethsemane to betray him. But Jesus is preparing his disciples to go on and represent him as his very body after Jesus' resurrection. And John 14, verses 1 to 7, gives us the down low on how to have intimate fellowship with the Father on high, the Father to whom Jesus was going. I'm going to ask Ernie McCormick to come and read John 14, 1 to 7, as Jesus talks about his exclusive role in connecting us in intimate fellowship with the Father. We'll be reading from John 14, 1 to 7. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. John chapter 14, 1 to 7, speaks not only to our assurance of eternal life after death, but also to our experience of that eternal life during our lives while still here upon the earth. Let's pray as we continue to meditate upon the word of God. Father, we thank you that you are the one who desires intimacy with us. You are the one who has provided everything necessary for us to come to you in an intimate daily walk of fellowship, of friendship, of listening and talking, of in essence being back in the garden again where time with you was sweet, where fellowship was precious, where intimacy was not, um, was full and free. 
in our complete nakedness. Lord, do we come as we are, bringing nothing, but hungering and desiring for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for Easter, for the cross, for providing the way for us to have fellowship with the Father. In your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. John 14, 6 reminds us that through Jesus, we can have fellowship with God the Father now during our lifetime, not just at the end of our life when we enter into the heavenly realities ahead of us. Eternal life in the Gospel of John is something we have now. It's not just something we're waiting for then. John is very distinctive in his use of the word Greek word for life, for eternal life. He says it's a quality of life, not a quantity of life. It's a quality that continues for an endless quantity in eternity. It's the very life of God because the very triune God dwells inside of us. We have God's life in us now. And the privilege that gives us in our walk through life until we die and see God face to face. Well, how does John 14, 6 help us to explain that experiencing intimacy with God is possible already during this life and that Jesus Christ is the only way into fellowship with the Father? How does John 14, 6 help us in our gospel proclamation? How does John 14, 6 help us explain the good news that life has meaning, purpose, and fulfillment? We have, in our search for meaning, we as God's people are part of a kingdom. And life has eternal meaning in an intimate life of fellowship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. That is our message to the world around us as the world looks for meaning and purpose. And there's been a development historically in the kinds of ways that our society has focused on what gives meaning and purpose in life. So some have termed modern society, that society that's been developed um, after World War II through the baby boomers, those who were born between 1946 and 1964. Life there has temporal meaning through human achievement. Everyone has a legacy, and we're all supposed to find our legacy in life. That gives you purpose and meaning, the things you own. And we'll advance the slide towards that one so you can see that. Then there's after modern society. Now we're, we were into post-modern society, and that is Generation X, born 1965 to 1980. And the purpose and meaning of life shifted not from what you can accomplish and achieve, but towards your own development of truth. Life has individual meaning, not just within a societal context. I can have meaning because I have truth in my life that I can live into. And this is exemplified by a conversation I had at Queen Elizabeth High School when I was pastoring here in the 1990s. I was talking with a young gentleman, and uh, we're talking about spiritual realities, and he said, you know what? I... I want to be spiritual, but I don't want to be religious. And that struck me. I thought, what? What are you saying? And I came to recognize that what he was saying was that 
I want a connection with God of this universe, but I don't want the religious trappings that go with it. I want to develop my own way of, of living out what it means to have a relationship with God. But there's a spiritual hunger. People want to experience God personally. John 14, 6 gives us a way to talk about that. And in our post, postmodern society, it's not that there's individual truth that can give meaning, but many people today say life has no meaning. You live for today's pleasures. Everyone has a story. And your story, you create your own story and live for what today holds. And that generally is a tenor with what some suggest is a millennials born from 1981 to 1994. And in 2020, the millennial generation are the top spenders in our society, $1.4 trillion worth of spending, seeking to fill life with meaning through what they are gaining through pleasure, but not even so much pleasure, through simplicity, through finding meaning in relationships, in developing relationships. Well, John 14.6 helps answer the question of how can we explain that experiencing fellowship with the Father is what's available through Christ. So in John 14.6, we have an additional emphasis on what we typically might see and find. And that is that I'm going to suggest that we read John 14.6 not first and foremost with a, a view to saying how do we get into heaven, but rather, how do we get heaven into us? How do we experience the Father now, not just then? And so there's an additional emphasis in John 14 that I want to highlight for us. And I'm going to read that out for you. I'm going to reread John 14 with this additional emphasis and tell you then how I get to that. In the family of my heavenly Father are many dwelling places. In the family of my heavenly Father are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you in his family. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into an intimate relationship with my heavenly father during one's lifetime except through a whole life commitment to me. I'm going to suggest that this emphasis is one that we need to recover as we talk about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. He's the only way to have intimate walk with God. People might say, oh, I experience God, and I have experiences of God. God can, by his own choice, reveal himself to people outside of a commitment to Christ. But nobody can ever have a daily walk of fellowship with the Father except through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's look at how John 14 adds that emphasis to our reading. This is a rather different reading of John 14, 1 to 7. Uh, How is it possible to translate the phrase the Father's house with the family of my Heavenly Father? So let's look at the interpretive options as Scripture um, gives them to us for the phrase my Father's house. So first of all, option one, the word house uh, could equal temple. And we see that where Jesus talks about the temple as being the Father's house, a house of prayer. And so the temple, even in the Old Testament, is called the, 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 the house of God, the Beit Elohim, the house of God. So temple, the physical temple, 
The Father's house is what's being referred to here. And the word temple could refer to heaven. So in Isaiah 6, we see this vision of Isaiah being brought into heaven. And heaven is depicted as the temple, the pillars of heaven, and as the very temple itself. But the temple could also be a symbol for the church itself. The temple as the church. 1 Peter 2, verse 5, and if we'll move the slide, we can see that brought up. 1 Peter 2, verse 5, we see that we talk about the people of God being a spiritual house. And in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17, Paul talks about us as the people of God as being the temple of God. We are a living temple. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, Paul talks about how we're being built up into a spiritual house, into the very temple of God, built on the foundations of the apostles. So the church itself is also the Father's house. And when we read back into John 14, 1 to 7, we'll see that some translations um, add some wording in there that make it seem like the Father's house only refers to heaven. So in John 14, 1, we, we read there, um, 14, 2, it says, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? The New International Version adds the word there. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, meaning the Father's house, which seems like he says he's going to heaven. But the word there is not there in the original Greek. In addition, he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going, in verse 4. And the phrase to the place is not there in the Greek either. That's been added in the English. Jesus is saying, you know the way where I go. And Thomas says, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And we see already then in John 13, 1 and 3 that Jesus is saying he's going to the Father. He's preparing his disciples for his departure to the Father. And that tells us that Jesus is where he's going is to the Father. So Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to the cross and after his resurrection, he will prepare places for them in the household of God, the family of God, the temple of God. That's the third option for how we read the word Father's house. And that could refer to the household. So house in the, in the ancient world also means household. In the Hebrew, the Beit Av, the house of the father. That's a patriarchal, where the patriarch, the head of the family, living on land, has the rest of his family and homes also on the same land, that's known as the household of the father. The whole family is living on the same plot of ground. It's the house of the father. And we see that kind of terminology in 1 Timothy 3.15 where Paul says that we are the household of God, the church of the living God. So there's different ways in which we can view the father's house, all of which have value in our understanding of John 14.1-7. And so the options as we uh, talk about them is that my father's house Jesus could be saying that he is the way into the household of God the church where the father resides and he is the way into a place called heaven where the father resides both emphases are important for us to maintain as we focus on gospel truth so if we focus on 
if our focus of our witnessing is upon proclaiming the truth that Jesus is the only way that anyone will experience a life of intimate fellowship with God the Father, I will suggest that we'll gain a better hearing in this post-modern and post-postmodern world of people who are seeking actual experiences of God that he's alive and working on their behalf. But we better walk that talk. We can't proclaim that Jesus is the only way to come to the Father as communion this morning will prepare us for if we aren't ourselves experiencing that walk of intimacy with the Father. People can tell a fake. And if you're going to proclaim it, you better claim it in your daily life where you're taking time with God the Father, listening to him, reading the word, praying, hearing him, asking the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you through the day, responding to the voice of God, discerning the voice of God in your daily life realities. And particularly as you seek to be available to the church when God is calling you to connect with people and be that servant who washes people's feet, And when you connect to those in the world who you humbly want to serve and lead to Jesus Christ. Communion with the Father during a lifetime is only available after we make Jesus complete master of our lives. That's our message we can proclaim loudly. But it better be our story for people to actually listen to us. And as we anticipate participating in communion, otherwise known as the Lord's Supper... I want to invite us to celebrate the amazing privilege of being able to enjoy intimacy with God, communion with the God of this universe through Jesus who went to the cross and died so we could live. Having an intimate walk with God the Father releases the resurrection power of our crucified and exalted Jesus into the lows of our life relationships and realities. Jesus is alive and well inside of each of us. Will you let him live out through you in power? The verses that continue on in John, verses 8 to 14 and then verse 23, describe the power of Jesus that's available to each and every one of us. I'm going to invite Ernie back up to read those scriptures for us. John 14, 8 to 14 and then verse 23. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may be glorified to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. My Father will love him, 
and he will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to them and make our home with him. Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit have made their home in us and among us as the corporate body of Christ. We are the living, walking, talking, working presence of the triune God in all the highs and lows of our daily lives. How can we embody the exalted Father and Son by the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, as a household of God, the family of God, we need to exemplify Jesus by humbly serving each other, by kneeling and anticipating each other's needs above our own needs. We're opening up small groups in church. We're opening up opportunities socially distanced within the guidelines of AHS and the Alberta government for the purpose of helping us connect and encourage each other in Christ, to live into this resurrection life, to do the things that Jesus did, to say the things that Jesus did. As you're at home and not able to connect with people, listen to the Holy Spirit. Who is he laying on your heart to communicate with, to pray with? But... I'm going to challenge us beyond that to get out of the upper room of our Christian, our socially distanced Christian bubble and get into the neighborhoods and communities we live in. We want to show people eternal life. We want to demonstrate what a life of fellowshiping with God the Father through Jesus looks like. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to embody Jesus in your daily life and show people the meaning of eternal life. Will you be the presence of the Father? As you walk with people in our communities and neighborhoods who are experiencing highs and lows, that's not so easy in our socially distanced world. But, you know, the warmer weather's coming. People are going to be outside more, connect with people, talk with people, build relationships with people. Get informal people connections happening. Be Christ and serve and wash the feet of your neighbors. Walk towards those who you see. Meet and greet them. Build trust. Be somebody who is a good citizen of Edmonton, who is a good citizen of your neighborhood. And I'm going to give you four different ways in which you can connect. Uh, first of all, informal people connections. People just so you meet. Be friendly. Talk, encourage people. People need a friendly voice. In your communities, make a point of building connections even through your community leagues. Get involved with your community leagues. Help be a servant, washing the feet of your community and helping them gain a deeper and a better life and in the process, they'll see God living out through you and want to know who you are. But I'm going to highlight one particular way that we here in the city of Edmonton have an amazing privilege as God's people. And that is through the city of Edmonton's 
initiative called the Abundant Communities Initiative. And what they have done, and this was started by a pastor here in Edmonton who modeled it in the Highlands community. And what he had done was to get to know his community neighbors and say, you know what? Each of us has resources that each of us could use. You got a an extension ladder that somebody could use. Let's create a resource list in our community so if people need stuff and don't have to go buy it, we can just help each other. It started there. Then people said, you know what? Um, I would love to have a tea party once a, once a week. Oh, let's get people who like to have some tea and we'll have specialized teas and just have fun with that. People started a book club. They started different things in, the commu- in their neighborhood and they built community. And what the city of Edmonton has done is they've taken this model and they formally created a division called Abundant Communities Initiative, where they, in every neighborhood, hope to have one person who can be that spider in the middle of the web, that one person who can connect with their neighbors and build build community, find out what the resources are. Say, hey, I represent the city of Edmonton in this neighborhood. Here's what the city would like to have happen. Here's opportunities. Here's money they give us for block parties. Isn't that an amazing opportunity for God's people to be what the city calls these block connectors? To be in our neighborhoods and building and being the body of Christ for our neighbors. And you have that position of trust. And through that, spiritual conversations will open up, especially if you're living that intimate life with the Father. If you want to know more about that, please feel free to contact me. Look on the City of Edmonton's website under Abundant Communities Initiative. They are looking for people. The church can rise up and take advantage of this amazing opportunity to wash the feet of the people in our communities, to humbly serve, to be good citizens as well as good Christians, to put our faith into action beyond just our church bubble. What an amazing opportunity but so many more opportunities that God will arise as you intimately walk with the Father, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and live a crucified life as Jesus has demonstrated to us. As we come to communion, let's remember in a special way the privilege we have to commune with our Father only because of what Jesus has done through the cross and his resurrection. Let's be this people of intimate fellowship Let's be the presence of God wherever we go. Amen. Father, we come. And you're already here. Lord, we anticipate and you've already provided. We look up and we just need to look down at the table and recognize all that you've provided through your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we celebrate your grace and your mercy. We live into your forgiveness. We lay ourselves prostrate at the throne in repentance, leaving behind those things that are holding us back from becoming who we already are in Christ. Help us to live into the freedom we have, into the fellowship that we have, into the faith that we have, into communion with the Father that we have. In Jesus, your name, amen and amen.
Good morning. Thank you for joining us as we come to the communion table once again this morning. And this table is a symbol of the love as God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to die in our place. And this place is a place of welcome, and it's, it's a place of invitation. Uh, as Ralph spoke this morning, it's an invitation into, the, into living with God. Uh, it, it's an invitation into household of God. It's an invitation into the family of God. Um, and to live in that experience, that, that eternal life doesn't begin when we die. It begins when we meet Christ and begin living with the Father in our lives. Uh, what a powerful image as we come to the communion table again. And again, Christ greets us at this table with his arms wide open. There's no hesitancy. It's not, he's not sitting there with his arms crossed going, oh, I guess if you have to come, you can come. This is, this is a place of welcome. It's a place where God wants each and every one of us to come to experience the grace, to experience the life, the joy, uh, and the grace uh, that we find in Jesus Christ. You are invited to come to this table this morning um, freely, extravagantly, um, as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. Again, you don't have to be a member of our church to take this meal with us. All you need is faith in Jesus to believe he died for your sin and to be living in that life uh, that Jesus has talked about. Uh, Paul writes in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to invite Ernie, if he would return thanks for the broken body of our Lord. Our Father, we thank you for inviting us to your table today. And we realize what it cost you that we might be able to come and partake of the beating and the scourging, the pounding of the nails into the hands and into the feet, and the anguish and the suffering that you went through so that we might be able to have eternal life with you. And Father, we would normally think that there would be such anger, but in place of anger, you bring us love, and in place of hate, you respond with so much wonderful grace. And Lord, we just want to thank you for the work of the cross and for your wonderful love. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Jesus said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then we're told in the same way. Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you remember it, uh, uh, often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I'll invite Ralph if he would return thanks for the cup. Dear Lord Jesus, you have said that this cup is the new covenant in your blood. And thank you that this new covenant is one of the heart. It's not... 
um, ritual or rules and commands. It's not religion. It's relationship. And that this new covenant is one in which um, we don't listen to outside of ourselves, but you hear, we hear you inside of ourselves. This amazing new covenant because of your blood. You shed your blood, providing forgiveness from all those sins and things that entangle us, that hold us back from becoming who we already are as a result of our faith in you. Jesus, give us release, give us freedom, give us joy, deepen our fellowship, even as we drink now in celebration of this new covenant in your blood. Amen. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul goes on to remind us of that great promise of hope for all of God's people. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to thank you for joining us once again this morning uh, for our service. We pray that you have been blessed. Um, and that you just begin to live uh, in, in, in that love, uh, in the fellowship of the Father, uh, where Christ has guided us this morning. Um, as we go from here, may we remember Christ, his sacrifice, and the truth that God loves each and every one of us so much. That as much love as an infinite God wants, to, is able to love us, and that he wants us to be a part of his family. Um, let that truth just wash over you uh, as you go to seek and live your life this week. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for, for who you are. We thank you for your son who came, offered his life upon the cross so that we could be forgiven. But more than forgiveness, that, Lord, we could enter into your family. Uh, Lord, that we could begin to live with you by our side, live in your presence, uh, live with your strength, live with your joy, uh, live under your grace. And, Lord, that's not just something that happens when we die. Lord, it's something that happens each and every moment of our lives. How, Lord, you have transformed everything that we are um, when we are when we accept the truth of who you are and believe it in our heart. Um, man, what a great reminder of grace this morning. And we pray that as we're dismissed this morning, that the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with us as we depart. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.